Welcome to the Shakespeare Radio Hour. I'm your host, Jeremiah Boggins, and today we are presenting for your listening pleasure a tale of love, adventure, and hidden identities, as you like it, by William Shakespeare. Our charming tale begins in the orchard of Oliver Du Bois, where his strapping younger brother Orlando bemoans the state of family affairs, and his dutiful companion Adam listens. As I remember, Adam, it was upon this fashion bequeathed me by will but poor a thousand crowns, and as thou sayest, charged my brother on his blessing to breed me well. And there begins my sadness. My brother Jacques, he keeps at school, and report speaks goldenly of his profit. For my part, he keeps me rustically at home, or to speak more properly, stays me here at home unkept. For call you that keeping for a gentleman of my birth, that differs not from the stalling of an ox. His horses are bred better, for besides that they are fair with their feeding, they are taught their manage, and to that end riders dearly hired. But I, his brother, gain nothing under him but growth, for the which his animals on his dunghills are as much bound to him as I. Besides this, nothing that he so plentifully gives me, the something that nature gave me his countenance, seems to take from me. He lets me feed with his hinds, bars me the place of a brother, and as much as in him lies, minds my gentility with my education. This is it, Adam, that grieves me. And the spirit of my father, which I think is within me, begins to mutiny against this servitude. I will no longer endure it. Though yet I know no wise remedy how to avoid it. Oh, yonder comes my master, your brother. Go apart, Adam, and thou shalt hear how he will shake me up. Enter Oliver. He lives here too, you know. Now, sir, what make you here? Oh, uh, nothing. I am not taught to make anything. What mar you then, sir? Oh, Mary, sir, I am helping you to mar that which God made. A poor, unworthy brother of yours, with idleness. Marry, sir, be better employed, and be not a while. Or shall I keep your hogs and eat husks with them? What prodigal portion have I spent that I should come to such punery? Know you where you are, sir? Oh, sir, very well, here in your orchard. Know you before whom, sir? I, better than him I know before knows me. I know you are my eldest brother, and in the gentle condition of blood you should so know me. The courtesy of nations allows you my better, in that you are the firstborn, but the same tradition takes not away my blood, were there twenty brothers betwixt us. I have as much of my father in me as you. Albeit, I confess, your coming before me is nearer to his reverence. What, boy? Come, come, elder brother. You are too young in this. Wilt thou lay hands on me, villain? He will. I am no villain. I am the youngest son of Sir Roland de Bois. He was my father, and he is thrice a villain that says such a father begot villains. Wert thou not my brother, I would not take this hand from thy throat till this other had pulled out thy tongue for saying so. Thou hast railed on thyself. Oh, sweet masters, be as a cord, for your father's remembrance, please. 
Let, let me go, I say. I will not till I please. You shall hear me. My father charged you in his will to give me good education. You have trained me like a peasant, obscuring and hiding from me all gentlemanlike qualities. The spirit of my father grows strong in me, and I will no longer endure it. Therefore, allow me such exercises as may become a gentleman, or give me the poor a lottery my father left me by testament. With that, I'll go buy my fortunes. And what wilt thou do? Beg? When that is spent? Well, sir, get you in. I will not long be troubled with you. You shall have some part of your will. I pray you, leave me! <clears throat> I will no further offend you than becomes me for my good. Get you with him, you old dog. Is old dog my reward? Most true, I have lost my teeth in your service. God be with my old master. He would not have spoke such a word. Exit Orlando and Adam. Exit? I don't care for that. I'm just going to say exit from now on. Is it even so? Begin you to grow upon me. I will physic your rankness and yet give no thousand crowns neither. Holla, Dennis! Enter Dennis. Calls your worship. Was not Charles, the Duke's wrestler, here to speak with me? So please you, he is here at the door, and importunes access to you. Call him in. Exit Dennis. I miss that guy already. Twill be a good way. And tomorrow the wrestling is. Enter Charles. He's a big guy. Good morrow to your worship! Oh, good Monsieur Charles, what's the new news at the new court? There's no news at the court, sir, but the old news. That is, the old duke is banished by his younger brother, the new duke. And three or four loving lords have put themselves into voluntary exile with him, whose lands and revenues enrich the new duke. Therefore, he gives them good leave to wander. Well, can you tell if Rosalind, the duke's daughter, be banished with her father? Oh, no! For the Duke's daughter, her cousin, so loves her, being ever from their cradles bred together, that she would have followed her exile, or have died to stay behind her. She is at court, and no less beloved of her uncle than his own daughter, and never two ladies loved as they do. Where will the old Duke live? They say he is already in the forest of Arden, and many merry men with him. And there they live like the old Robin Hood of England. They say many young gentlemen flock to him every day, and fleet the time carelessly as they did in the golden world. What, you wrestle tomorrow before the new duke? Merry do I, sir, and I came to acquaint you with a matter. I am given, sir to secretly acquaint that your younger brother, Orlando, hath a disposition to come in disguised against me to try a fall. Tomorrow, sir, I wrestle for my credit, and he that escapes me without some broken limb shall acquit him well. Your brother is but young and tender. And for your love, I would be loath to fall him, as I must for my own honor. If he come in, 
Therefore, out of my love to you, I came hither to acquaint you with all, that either you might stay him from his intendment, or brook such disgrace well as he shall run into, and that it is a thing of his own search, and altogether against my will. Charles, I thank thee for thy love to me, which thou shalt find I will most kindly requite. I had myself notice of my brother's purpose herein, and have by underhand means laboured to dissuade him from it, but he is resolute. I'll tell thee, Charles, it is the stubbornest young fellow of France, full of ambition, an envious emulator of every man's good parts, a secret and villainous contriver against me, his natural brother. Therefore, use thy discretion. I had as lief thou didst break his neck as his finger. And thou wert best look to it, for if thou dost him any slight disgrace, or if he do not mightily grace himself on thee, he will practice against thee by poison, entrap thee by some treacherous device, and never leave thee till he hath tamed thy life by some indirect means or other. For I assure thee, and almost with tears I speak it, there is not one so young and so villainous this day living. I, I speak but brotherly of him, but should I anatomize him to thee as he is, I must blush and weep, and thou must look pale and wonder. I am heartily glad I came hither to you. If he come to-morrow, I'll give him his payment. If ever he go alone again, I'll never wrestle for prize more. And so God keep your worship. Farewell, good Charles. Exit Charles. <laughs> now will I stir this gamester. I hope I shall see an end of him. For my soul, yet I know not why, hates nothing more than he. Yet he's gentle, never schooled and yet learned, full of noble device, of all sorts enchantingly beloved, and indeed so much in the heart of the world, and especially of my own people, who best know him, that I am altogether misprized. But it shall not be so long. This wrestler shall clear all. Nothing remains but that I kindle the boy thither, which now I'll go about. Meanwhile, on the lawn outside the Duke's palace, we meet our heroine Rosalind and her cousin Celia. I pray thee, Rosalind, sweet my cuz, be merry. Dear Celia, I show more mirth than I am mistress of, and would you yet I were merrier. Unless you could teach me to forget a banished father, you must not learn me how to remember any extraordinary pleasure. Herein I see thou lovest me not with the full weight that I love thee. If my uncle, thy banished father, had banished thy uncle, the duke, my father, so thou hadst been still with me, I could have taught my love to take thy father for mine. So wouldst thou, if the truth of thy love to me were so righteously tempered as mine is to thee. <sighs> well, I will forget the condition of my estate, to rejoice in yours. You know my father hath no child but I, nor none is like to have, and truly, when he dies, thou shalt be his heir, for what he hath taken away from thy father perforce, I will render thee again in affection. 
By mine honour I will, and when I break that oath, let me turn monster. Therefore, my sweet Rose, my dear Rose, be merry. From henceforth I will, cuz, and devise sports. Let me see. What think you of falling in love? <laughs> Marry, I pray thee do, <laughs> to make sport withal. But love no man in good earnest, nor no further in sport, neither with the safety of a pure blush thou mayest in honour come off again. What shall be our sport, then? Hmm. Let us sit and mock the good housewife Fortune from her wheel, that her gifts may henceforth be bestowed equally. I would we could do so, for her benefits are mightily misplaced, and the bountiful blind woman doth most mistake in her gifts to women. Tis true, for those that she makes fair she scarce makes honest, and those that she makes honest she makes very ill-favouredly. Nay, now thou goest from fortune's office to nature's. Fortune reigns in the gifts of the world, not in the lineaments of nature. Enter our resident funny guy, Touchstone. This guy's a riot. No, when nature hath made a fair creature, may she not by fortune fall into the fire? Though nature hath given us wit to fall out at fortune, hath not fortune sent in this fool to cut off the argument? Indeed, there is fortune too hard for nature, when fortune makes nature's natural the cutter off of nature's wit. Peradventure this is not fortune's work neither, but nature's, who perceiveth our natural wits too dull to reason of such goddesses, and hath sent this natural for our whetstone. For always the dullness of the fool is the whetstone of its wits. How now, wit? Whither wander you? Mistress, you must come away to your father. Were you made the messenger? No, by my honour, but I was bid to come for you. Where learned you that oath, fool? Of a certain knight that swore by his honour they were good pancakes, and swore by his honour the mustard was not. Now I'll stand to it. The pancakes were not, and the mustard was good, and yet was not the knight forsworn. How prove you that in the great heap of your knowledge? Ay, marry, now unmuzzle your wisdom. Stand you both forth now, stroke your chins, and swear by your beards that I am a knave. By our beards, mm. if we had them, thou art. By my knavery, if I had it, then I were. But if you swear by that that is not, you are not forsworn. No more was this knight swearing by his honour, for he never had any. Or, if he had, he had sworn it away before he ever saw those pancakes or that mustard. Prithee, who is that thou meanest? Oh, one that old Frederick, your father, loves. My father's love is enough to honour him. Enough, speak no more of him. You'll be whipped for taxation one of these days. Oh, the more pity, that fools may not speak wisely what wise men do foolishly. By my troth thou sayest true, for since the little wit that fools have was silenced, the little foolery that wise men have makes a great show. <gasps> Here comes Monsieur Lebeau. With his mouth full of news. Which he will put on us as pigeons feed their young. Then we shall be news crammed. <laughs> All the better. We shall be the more marketable. Enter Lebeau. 
That's French for the bow. Bonjour, Monsieur Le Beau. What's the news? Fair princess, you have lost much good sport. Sport of what colour? What colour, madam? How shall I answer you? As wit and fortune will. Or as the destinies decree. Well said, that was laid on with a trowel. Ah, oh, nay, if I keep not my rank. Thou losest thy old smell. You amaze me, ladies. I would have told you of good wrestling, which you have lost the sight of. Oh, you tell us the manner of this wrestling. I will tell you the beginning. And if it please your ladyships, you may see the end. For the best is yet to do, and here where you are, they are coming to perform it. Well, the beginning, that is dead and buried. There comes an old man and his three sons. Ah, oh, I could match this beginning with an old tale. Three proper young men of excellent growth and presence. With bills on their necks, be it known unto all men by these presents. <laughs> the eldest of the three wrestled with Charles, the Duke's wrestler, which Charles in a moment threw him and broke three of his ribs, that there is little hope of life in him. So he said the second and so the third. Yonder they lie, the poor old man their father, making such pitiful dole over them, that all the beholders take his part with weeping. Alas! But, but what is the sport, monsieur, that the ladies have lost? Why, this that I speak of. Thus men may grow wiser every day. It is the first time that ever I heard breaking of ribs was sport for ladies. Or I, I promise thee. But is there any else longs to see this broken music in his sides? Is there yet another dotes upon rib breaking? Shall we see this wrestling, cousin? You must, uh, if you stay here, for here is the place appointed for the wrestling, and they are ready to perform it. Yonder, sure, they are coming. Let us now stay and see it. Enter Orlando Charles, the lords in attendance, and Duke Frederick. Now that guy is a real piece of work. Come on. Since the youth will not be entreated, his own peril on his forwardness. Is yonder the man? Even he, madam. Alas, he is too young. Yet he looks successfully. How now, daughter and cousin? Are you crept hither to see the wrestling? Aye, my liege, so please you give us leave. Oh, you will take little delight in it, I can tell you. There is such odds in the man. In pity of the challenger's youth, I would fain dissuade him, but he will not be entreated. Speak to him, ladies. See if you can move him. Call him hither, good Monsieur Lebeau. Do so. I'll not be by. Monsieur the Challenger, the princess has called for you. I attend them with all respect and duty. Young man, have you challenged Charles the wrestler? Uh, no, fair princess. He is the general challenger. I come but in, as others do, to try with him the strength of my youth. Young gentlemen, your spirits are too bold for your years. You have seen the cruel proof of this man's strength. If you saw yourself with your eyes, or knew yourself with your judgment, the fear of your adventure would counsel you to a more equal enterprise. We pray you, for your own sake, to embrace your own safety and give over this attempt. Do, sir, your reputation shall not therefore be misprized. 
We will make it our suit to the duke that the wrestling might not go forward. I beseech you, punish me not with your hard thoughts, wherein I confess me much guilty to deny so fair and excellent ladies anything. But let your fair eyes and gentle wishes go with me to my trial, wherein, if I be foiled, there is but one shamed that was never gracious, if killed, but one dead that was willing to be so. I shall do my friends no wrong, for I have none to lament me. The world no injury, for in it I have nothing. Only in the world I fill up a place, which may be better supplied when I have made it empty. The little strength that I have, I would it were with you. And mine to eke out hers. Fare you well. Pray heaven I be deceived in you. Your heart's desires be with you. Come! Where is this young gallant that is so desirous to lie with his mother earth? Ready, sir. But his will hath in it a more modest working. You shall try but one fall. No, I warrant your grace. You shall not entreat him to a second that have so mightily persuaded him from a first. And you mean to mock me after? You should not have mocked me before, but come your ways. Now, Hercules, be thy speed, young man. I would I were invisible to catch the strong fellow by the leg. In the left corner, our reigning champion. If this is a court, then he's our executioner. It's Charles! And in the right corner, today's contender. He's the youngest of three brothers, but don't you remind him. It's Orlando! All right. And here we go. Charles starts off with a strong right hook, and the hits just keep coming. He's got Orlando backed into a corner, but don't count the young man out just yet. What's that? It must be lunchtime, ladies and gentlemen, because Orlando just served up a mean knuckle sandwich. And it looks like Charles is allergic because he did not care for that at all. Things are heating up like a thought on fire, and this is still anyone's match to win. Oh, excellent young man! If I had a thunderbolt in my eye, I can tell who should down. Wow! Orlando just did a backflip, and Charles is seeing stars. This one's a real upset, folks. Charles has lost his title and presumably all meaning in his life. Orlando is our victor. No more, no more. Uh, yes, uh, I beseech your grace. I am not yet well breathed. How dost thou, Charles? <sighs> he cannot speak, my lord. Bear him away. What is thy name, young man? Orlando, my leash. The youngest son of Sir Roland de Bois. <gasps> I would thou hadst been summoned to some man else. The world esteemed thy father honorable, but I did find him still mine enemy. Thou shouldst have better pleased me with this deed, hadst thou descended from another house. But fare thee well. Thou art a gallant youth. I would thou hadst told me of another father. Exit Duke Frederick LeBeau and company. Intrigued by the young fighter, Rosalind and Celia approach. Were I my father, cuz, would I do this? I am more proud to be Sir Rollins' son, his youngest son, and would not change that calling, to be adopted heir to Frederick. My father loved Sir Rollins as his soul, and all the world was of my father's mind. Had I before known this young man his son, I should have given him tears unto entreaties, ere he should thus have ventured. Gentle cousin, let us go thank him and encourage him. 
My father's rough and envious disposition sticks me at heart. Sir, you have well deserved, if you do keep your promises in love but justly, as you have exceeded all promise. Your mistress shall be happy. Gentlemen, wear this chain for me. One out of suits with fortune that could give more, but that her hand lacks means. Shall we go, cuz? Aye. Fare you well, fair gentleman. Uh, can I not say I thank you? My better parts are all thrown down, and that which here stands is but a quintain, a mere lifeless block. He calls us back. My pride fell with my fortunes. I'll ask him what he would. Did you call, sir? Sir, you have wrestled well and overthrown more than your enemies. Will you go, cuz? Have with you. Fare you well. Rosalind and Celia exit. What passion hangs these weights upon my tongue? I cannot speak to her, yet she urged conference. Oh, poor Orlando, thou art overthrown, or Charles or something weaker masters thee. Lebeau re-enters. Good sir, I do in friendship counsel you to leave this place, albeit you have deserved high commendation. True applause and love, yet such now is the Duke's condition that he misconstrues all that you have done. The Duke is humorous, what he is indeed more suits you to conceive than I to speak of. I thank you, sir, and, and I pray you, tell me this. Which of the two was daughter of the Duke that here was at the wrestling? Neither is daughter if we judge by manners, but yet indeed the lesser is his daughter, the other is daughter to the banished Duke, and here detained by his usurping uncle uh, to keep his daughter company whose loves are dearer than the natural bond of sisters. But I can tell you that of late, this duke hath taken displeasure against his gentle niece, granted upon no other argument, but that the people praise her for her virtues, and pity her for her good father's sake. And on my life, his malice against the lady will suddenly break forth. Sir, fare you well. Hereafter, in a better world than this, I shall desire more love and knowledge of you. I rest much bowden to you. Fare you well. Exit Lebeau. Thus must I from the smoke into the smother, from tyrant duke unto a tyrant brother, but heavily Rosaline. After the wrestling match, our heroines Rosalind and Celia find themselves back in a room at the palace. Why, cousin? Why, Rosalind? Cupid have mercy, not a word? Not one to throw at a dog. No, thy words are too precious to be cast away upon curs. Throw some of them at me. Come, lame me with reason. Then there were two cousins laid up, when the one should be lamed with reasons, and the other mad without any. But is all this for your father? No. Some of it is for my child's father. Oh, how full of briars is this working day world! They are but burrs, cousin, thrown upon thee in holiday foolery. If we walk not in the trodden paths, our very petticoats will catch them. I could shake them off my coat. These burrs are in my heart. Hem them away. I would try if I could cry hem and have him. <laughs> come, come. Wrestle with thy affections. Oh, they take the part of a better wrestler than myself. Oh, a good wish upon you. You will try in time, in despite of a fall. But turning these jests out of service, let us talk in good earnest. Is it possible, on such a sudden, you should fall into so strong a liking with old Sir Roland's youngest son? 
The Duke, my father, loved his father dearly. Doth it therefore ensue that you should love his son dearly? By this kind of chase I should hate him, for my father hated his father dearly. Yet I hate not Orlando. No, no, faith, hate him not for my sake. <laughs> Why should I not? Doth he not deserve well? Let me love him for that, and do you love him because I do? Oh, look, here comes the Duke. With his eyes full of anger. Enter Duke Frederick. He's brought his lords for backup, and he does not look happy. Mistress, dispatch you with your safest haste, and get you from our court. Me, uncle? You, cousin. Within these ten days, if that thou beest found so near our public court as twenty miles, thou diest for it. <laughs> Do beseech your grace, let me the knowledge of my fault bear with me. If with myself I hold intelligence, or have acquaintance with mine own desires, if that I do not dream, or be not frantic, as I do trust I am not, then, dear uncle, never so much as in a thought unborn did I offend your highness. Thus do all traitors. If their purgation did consist in words, they are as innocent as grace itself. Let it suffice thee that I trust thee not. Yet your mistrust cannot make me a traitor. Tell me whereon the likelihood depends. Thou art thy father's daughter. There's enough. So was I when your highness took his dukedom. So was I when your highness banished him. Treason is not inherited, my lord. Or, if we did derive it from our friends, what's that to me? My father was no traitor. Then, good my liege, mistake me not so much to think my poverty is treacherous. Dear sovereign, hear me speak. Aye, Celia. We stayed her for your sake, else had she with her father ranged along. I did not then entreat to have her stay. It was your pleasure and your own remorse. I was too young at the time to value her. But now I know her. If she be a traitor, why, so am I. We still have slept together, rose at an instant, learned, played, eat together, and wheresoever we went like Juno swans, Still, we went coupled and inseparable. She is too subtle for thee. And her smoothness, her very silence, and her patience speak to the people. And they pity her. Thou art a fool. She robs thee of thy name. And thou wilt show more bright and seem more virtuous when she is gone. Then open not thy lips. Firm and irrevocable is my doom which I have passed upon her. She is banished. Pronounce that sentence then upon me, my liege. I cannot live out of her company. You are a fool. You, niece, provide yourself. If you outstay the time, upon mine honour and in the greatness of my word, you die. Exit Duke Frederick and Lords. I told you that guy was a piece of work. Oh, my poor Rosalind, whither wilt thou go? Wilt thou change fathers? I will give thee mine. I charge thee, be not thou more grieved than I am. I have more cause. Thou hast not, cousin. Prithee, be cheerful. Knowst thou not the duke hath banished me, his daughter? That he hath not. No, hath not. Rosalind lacks then the love which teacheth thee that thou and I am one. Shall we be sundered? Shall we part, sweet girl? No, 
Let my father seek another heir. Therefore devise with me how we may fly, whither to go and what to bear with us, and do not seek to take your change upon you, to bear your griefs yourself, and leave me out. For by this heaven, now at our sorrows pale, say what thou canst, I'll go along with thee. Why, whither shall we go? Um, to seek my uncle in the forest of Arden. Alas, what danger will it be to us maids as we are to travel forth so far? Beauty provoketh thieves sooner than gold. Hmm. I'll put myself in poor and mean attire, and with a kind of umber smirch my face. <gasps> the like do you, so shall we pass along and never stir assailants. Hmm. Were it not better, because that I am more than common tall, that I did suit me all points like a man, a gallant curdle axe upon my thigh, a boar spear in my hand, and in my heart, lie there what hidden woman's fear there will. We'll have a swashing and a marshal outside, as many other mannish cowards have, that do outface it with their semblances. What shall I call thee when thou art a man? I'll have no worse a name than Jove's own page, and therefore look you call me Ganymede. And what will you be called? Something that have a reference to my state. No longer Celia, but <gasps> Aliena. But cousin, what if we essayed to steal that clownish fool out of your father's court? Would he not be a comfort to our travel? <laughs> He'll go along o'er the wide world with me. <laughs> Leave me alone to woo him. Let's away, and get our jewels and our wealth together, devise the fittest time and safest way to hide us from pursuit that will be made after my flight. Now go we in content to liberty, and not to banishment. That's all for this week, folks. Tune in next week for Act 2 of As You Like It. This installment featured the vocal talents of Zoe Bowen-Smith as Rosalind, Peter Fox as Orlando, Chloe Moore as Celia, M.M. Lemcooler as Touchstone, Aura Camadella as Dennis, Lila Kennedy as Charles, Josh Mudderpearl as Oliver, Eamon Raftery Sweeney as Adam, Zach Roberts as LeBeau, and Aidan White as Duke Frederick, with narration by Eric Wells as Jeremiah Boggins. As You Like It was produced in association with Shakespeare in the Dark, with dialects from Anthony Madelone, Foley by Margot Flanders, music by Nathan Hall, and edited by Eva Merriam Sekibanga and Christian Walker. Stage managed by Brooke Meeks and assisted by Miranda Huffer. Finally, As You Like It was co-directed by Cecilia Yur and Joseph Tapia. For more information on upcoming productions, follow Shakespeare in the Dark on Instagram, Facebook, and all other newfangled social medias. <laughs>